So during the last year, I have ordered a tremendous amount of takeout. And I believe now we are ready for the definitive best practices white paper on how to build a great takeout service. And I think we should borrow from uh, our area of expertise and kind of model this on a CICD pipeline, right? That would be the normal way that anyone uh, should think about this. So let's think about the three steps. I think there are three steps in a great takeout experience. One, it's the online order, right? And I'm going to call that like the get commit. We're going to revisit these in a second. Two is after the order happens, you have to actually make the, the restaurant has to make the food, you know, so that it's packaged correctly and available for pickup and still hot. If it's a hot meal, of course, right. That's really, you know, need to be, and you need to be very consistent on the time you can pick. However much time you need to prepare it is up to, in my case, the, the restaurant, but you have to be consistent. So that's really the integration, right? That's continuous integration. And then finally, when you actually go to the store, you want a very quick pickup. So that's the deliver, right? Uh, ideally, it's a self-service pickup. I believe these are okay. the three steps so that every takeout restaurant needs to consider or any restaurant that's going to add a takeout. Did I miss anything? In our pipeline, you're, you're kind of the expert on the pipeline. So did I miss anything else uh, about the, the pipeline that we should be considering in our takeout experience? Um, I, I no, I mean, you know, just like just like a regular CICD, there's a lot of places for hooks in there, right? You can get the the notifications as it progresses, you know, so you can say like, oh, you know, your your food is now available for pickup or, uh, you know, your order has been accepted and, you know, estimated time is at this time. But yeah, I, uh, there's all sorts of events coming off of uh, that uh, takeout CD pipeline. Right, well, and I think what you're getting at is like, um, logging, right? Like through each step, we should have a log <laughs> events, about where things events, are. Right? Events, right? Not, not, not just logging, right? But but actual Matt, events. one, thank you for setting me straight. I apologize to everyone for saying logging. That's an old school way of doing it. <laughs> Absolutely right. Events that anyone can see and take action on. Because to your mm-hmm. point, and after metrics, we've implemented right? this, we would like other people to potentially augment the experience. Because some of the features you got into there, I think are bonus features. But I And I like them. But I, I'm not, I don't, it's almost like in the appendix of the white paper. It's like, okay, once you've done all this, then you can proceed to this, the event integration. Now, let's go through them step by step. I Because I think there are some minimum requirements. So the commit, that's the online order. Yeah, yeah. I believe all you need here is any type of website, but it just needs to be mobile friendly. It can be a website and a mobile friendly version of it. You don't have to go out and like build a, your own app. I don't think that's necessary. I think there are many uh, online order, you know, uh, yeah. Square and others that offer it. So you can just pick whatever it is you want. There's I, lots of good choices. I mean, you got you got your Circle CI. You got your uh, <laughs> you got your GitHub. Right. You uh, just pick whatever actions works. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I would say is Azure that I believe for restaurants. Like, <laughs> a key a key thing in your online experience, you can use whatever you want. Is I think you want to take a, Apple Pay and Google Play so that I don't actually have to like enter my credit card. I think it's just a real nice bonus where I can just get oh, to yeah, the end, yeah. check out. I think that's, to me, you that's get some, the only- You get some of that single sign-on going. Yeah, definitely want you know, that. To me, only feature that's really needed there. That's all I really care about. And I, and I think, you know, the point I would make here is that you, the restaurant, especially the restaurants that have like the complicated websites- and I mean, I'm just going to say it. I hope everyone's done with it. I do not want a flash-based website. I don't need a oh, lot of no, like no, no. animation. I, I don't I, need a lot of graphics. I don't okay. need, 
a PDF menu that's sort of I'd like rather have reading. a PDF menu than a Flash website. Hey, picking between those things, but just some straight old school HTML, fine, fine. Just, you know, simple HTML, simple style sheet. Just write give off the, just use the default. Don't even bother editing it, right? Change G- the color. City's restaurant website. I'm ready. Because my point there is just like, I, if I've decided to order from you, it's because the food is good. There's a website, there's an Indian restaurant here in Austin, very close to me that I love. I, the website is almost um, aggressively angry at you. Like it is so hard to use, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. like you have to like go in and then like, you have to like, it actually has this thing that you have to accept that, that you actually have picked the store and because they have one in Houston and one in Austin. So they have, they have like a special pop-up in there. It's, it's, it's an awful website, but I, I'll tell you this. I like it. The food is good there. I will mm-hmm. go through the pain. And, and you know what they did for me? I don't have to call them. And it's like, that's fine. You did it. No, it's no, like, no. So, so, so there was, there, there was uh, a restaurant here that I use, um, that you know their online experience was terrible. So I would call them. I just I would call them, and 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 now now when you call their number, it goes to voicemail and tells you to use their website. And, and I like I stopped going there. I was just like I I will not deal with that crappy website because because not only is it crappy, they want you to install their app. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, like, I mean- okay, I'm gonna install an app for some you know for one dicey indian restaurant when you know i got a dozen choices right no well that's that's on them though because again like it all to me it comes back to like if their food is good enough you you would go through the pain but if it isn't good enough it probably doesn't matter like to me but i i just like i just want to back to our kind of focus of the restaurant job you've done it's like i don't want them spending a lot of time with like a web designer and building their own thing no. and their own creative like i just just give me the basics and i think any i really believe any of the online kind of off the shelf ones for most restaurants more than adequate. Cause you just really want HTML, boom, 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 click it, add to order, pay, you know, do your checkout and you're done. That's it. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. Okay. Yeah. So I think we've, 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 um, got, we've to got the front end. We've got the front, no, we got end, the front the, end. Now the, the middle, the integration, the I think is where a lot of places have problems, right? Yes. Because that is where it's like, whatever you used, I don't even care if it's email. You have got to get the order to the kitchen in some consistent way. And then from that moment, you need to predict when it's going to be ready. This is probably the most important part. It's all behind the scenes. You can't have the... you can't have the person show up at the restaurant and be like, oh, we didn't get your order, right? Because that's, of course, awful. And you can also not have, okay, I told them 30 minutes, but I've just made the meal in five and it's been sitting right, you know, right. there for whatever, 25 minutes. So I don't know, you know, this is where I really, you know, this is, I'm going to go product management on you. It's like, I don't really know how anything in the kitchen works, but I just know that like you need to have the integration. However, the, the chefs like to see the order. I think you need direct integration and maybe your current job. That's how they have to do it. It's like, you really need it, need the order flow to be exactly the same. If the, cause I see this all the time. If you have two printers or like two screens or something like that, that's I, that is not acceptable because well, like and, the back end kitchen just gets confused. They don't know what's going on. And, and this part is like ripe for automation, right? Because we're, we're collecting metrics about performance, right? We know how we, we know how fast the kitchen is operating, right? If, right? if we get them to just hit a button every time they accept an order, like you know, I'm doing number one nineteen, and and then when they hit one twenty or one twenty one or whatever, you know, like well, one nineteen must be done. Or, or, you know, you can generally get an idea of what that queue looks like. And you can use those metrics 
to come back and give estimates. You can just be like, look, on average, an order takes you know 17 minutes to prepare. So what I want as a customer is acknowledgement that my order is started, right? It's been accepted. And then they can give me, you know, oh, you know, we think in 20 minutes or 30 minutes, that's fine, right? But uh, what I don't want, and this goes for delivery too, what I don't want is to fire my order in and an hour later, I'm like, what, what's going on? Has, has there been an acknowledgement? Is my food ready? Uh, if it's delivery, how long do I wait before I call the restaurant? Right. And I'm Absolutely. like, where's my yes. food? Because I mean, I, most of the restaurants here do like three or four delivery services. Right. And um, Uber, Uber Eats apparently had this thing where they were going to restaurants scraping their menus, putting them up on Uber Eats, right. placing orders with those restaurants and then sending their people to go pick them up. Yep. But the restaurant didn't know that they were being, you know, right. wrapped didn't even by know Uber Eats. Uber. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. so like, you, you know, you'd place an order with Uber Eats and your food wouldn't show up in an hour and a half and you call the restaurant and the restaurant's like, we don't have your order. Yeah, they have no idea, right? Yeah, no, no and there's a whole lawsuit I think about it, oh right? This about, like, yes. Yeah, I got bored well, that's by a that. whole other set. Like I'm, I mean, like I, I just go pick up my food because I'm cheap. You know, that's that's honestly, <laughs> the, I, that's like I don't know the Uber Eats. So. Well, and 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 when you compare prices between delivery services and the restaurants' websites, a lot of times the restaurants cheaper, and sometimes they even have their own delivery that's cheaper than absolutely. And also yeah. too, it's like why not just give them all the money? And, and well, also, I'm happy like, to give them all the money. I'm just usually happy not to have to drive to go pick it up. Right. I, well, I guess like, you know, I don't know. I live like a bunch uh, next to a bunch of restaurants and like, especially this past year, a lot of times I was like, Oh, this is something to do. Like get out of the house. So that's sort of like my own, maybe that's my own issue. Like I don't have enough things going on in my life. So, all right. But we're, but you're hitting on the logging, like in the events, yes. or the events, right? It's the like, eventing, yes, right. This is the place. Metrics where it's and like, eventing. You get a nice feedback loop there. Like, and I will just you uh, can model your out. traffic. Yeah. Quick shout out to Papa John's. They're the best that I, at this, like they will actually send you a notification pizza being made pizza in the oven pizza out of the oven but like yeah. you see it all the way through and it's now it's a little unfair right because papa john's has been in the delivery business since the beginning so i'm i'm we're grading on a curve here this is more this is but, again for people getting into it right i'm not going to say everyone needs that but those services that are providing you know like the the menu logs and deliveries and 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 uber eats who are providing those services to the restaurants they've got hooks exposed to those restaurants too cuz sometimes i get mid you know, so it depends yep. how instrumented that restaurant wants to be for the events that they're pushing to their customers. Because some restaurants, I place an order and they're like, your order's been accepted. We're estimating at this time. Your order's with the delivery driver. You know, you're getting them constant, nonstop. And then others are like, you know, food's here. And, you know, and it's the same. It's, you know, it's, it's delivery of both places. And you're like, hey, hey, can you, can and we you, should, you know, we should wire, make, wire it up a little here. bit? Yeah, let's pause here and make the case, right? It's like, because a lot of people, I think the product managers are like, hey, we don't really need that. It's not in the MVP. It's like, I get that. But I will say this, because we're about to get into delivery in a second. It's like, if you take the extra effort and you instrument everything in kitchen, out of kitchen, like prepared, then, and people get the notifications, that will give them the ability to kind of time their pickup, right? Because they'll kind of see it. So therefore, you're sort of avoiding the frustration. Like I said, it was going to be 10 but it's really 20 and I'm waiting or vice versa versus like, if I'm getting a text message is like pizza in the oven. I'm like, Oh, let me finish what I'm doing. Finish whatever I'm ready at home. Cause I gotta go pick up the pizza and then pizza ready. Then I'm out the door. And I, I, I feel like I know that it's ready. And even if it was late or early, I'm fine with that because I knew about it. So, so this is sort of like preemptive customer satisfaction is what we're making the case for. Okay. On that. But, but here's the product manager question here. here here's, here's the nugget. 
Do you charge the restaurant? If you're Uber Eats, do you charge the restaurant for more events? <laughs> do I? Right? No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think. Right, I, right. I because, because you're like, well, this is a feature they can give their customers a better experience. Of course, I'm going to upsell them. But then on the flip side, you're like, wait, wait, wait. This makes our product stick here because like for, for, you know, for delivery services, they're fungible, you know, they yeah. are undifferentiated. And if you try to charge more, they're like, you know, I'll go to deliver, you know? I, yeah. I well, we're about to get to pick up in a second, because I think the reason I would make the case not to charge more is to be like this by telling people where things are, you gain so much goodwill. Like mm -hmm. it's just like an airline that has to postpone or delay a flight. If you get that text message and you're still at your hotel or at home saying it's going to be another 30 minutes and you can, you know, adjust your schedule and not sit at the airport, you, you're happy. I mean, the plane is still pushed back. I mean, there's nothing to it, right? You're still delayed, but you're, you, if you will, like you've had time to adjust when you get to the airport and as soon as you see the delayed thing, you're very frustrated. So that's my same case here, right? It's like, just tell me where my food is at. So, all right. So that's the integration we've got on that. And then. Delivery. This is another, I think, very common mistake. Okay. Yeah. On the delivery, I think the number one goal should be people can walk in and pick up their food without having to talk to anyone. I think that to me is the <laughs> number one way to do it. And the way that I'm, I'm going to, I think Chipotle has, you know, at least here in Austin, I think they've done a pretty good job, I guess, in the United States. It's like they have essentially a, a set of shelves broken down by alphabet. And they just take the order and then they put the receipt, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have some nits about how they do it, but like they put the receipt right on the front and then they put your order, like wherever the alphabet is. So when you walk in, <laughs> you walk in, right. And yeah. you just look up and you're like, Oh, there's Brandon. You grab it and you can walk out. And it's fantastic. Right. Cause what I see is a common mistake. And I, I believe the objections by the restaurants is like, well, if we leave all the food out there, Either Someone's people steal it. it or people you, you, take they the need wrong to do thing. like the, those automated Amazon lockers where you hit the barcode and it pops open a door. Oh, even better, even better, <laughs> right? I mean, well, that's like that's next level. But let's 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 not be crazy because what I like, I go to this place. I really like the tacos here in Austin. Uh, uh, one taco, it's close to my house, and like great online order experience. They say fifteen minutes, but I've now adjusted. They're really the tacos like done in six, so like I I can adjust like when yeah, I yeah nobody better. wants a soggy taco. Uh, and then, but when I get there, and of course, like I've been there like a million times, right? They have like, there's a, there's actually a countertop that's just empty. It's sort of just, you know, separating the cashier from the, you know, if you will, the place that you can eat and the drinks. And it's like, and then the tacos are just like, I can literally see my bag most of the time. I can mm -hmm. see it. It's like, but it's behind the counter and then in there. And I, I just say, you know, obviously say my name or they recognize me and they grab it and they just literally take it and they just put it right on the cat, the counter that I'm right in front of. And I'm just like, just put every order on that counter. Like I've, I've, I've wondered so many times, like, should I make a suggestion? But then I'm like, I don't want to be the guy t trying to tell everyone how to run a restaurant. Like, you know, like I, like I'm some genius. Right. But I'm just like, if you just put it right here, then as you come in, you could just point to people be like, Oh yeah, your order's right there. Your order's right there. And that, I mean, I'm not saying, I think it would save five to 10 minutes per pickup. Right. Cause if there's any type of line. So to me, I think the what I've seen that makes this work the best is just put the pickup station just kind of in eye distance of the cashier that's working because there's enough social pressure that they could just uh, just an acknowledgement. Oh, are you here? What's your name? Oh, it's right there. Like, I think that's enough social pressure to like prevent someone from just walking and stealing the food or from someone like if they legitimately have a question or the order, they know that they can talk to you. But most of the time, 
they're going to snatch that bag. They're going to be out of there. Like yeah. that, that to well, me is very and, and there's that whole like queue of food and, and you've got like the, the delivery drivers come up, they just flash their phone and grab a bag and go. Right. Yeah. If you want free food, get yourself an Uber Eats jersey and like, you know, just hit up the restaurants and walk in and start grabbing them. It's funny you say that. I have thought to myself all the time, like if you actually really like if, if you were in a position where like I just have oh, to have food, and like, you would just go to any one of these places and just like it's, walk in and just grab it. Like no one would ever ask. It's like next 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 step in uh you know uh package thieves, right? Yeah, I mean it really is. It's like, it's like, but no one I don't think I mean when I, I you know I don't run a restaurant, so again, I hope hopefully some people can correct me. It's like I just think as long as you keep it in just the eye distance, that's just enough disincentive. Right for people so. to do it. That, that's all you right. need. I hope, you don't I hope actually, we didn't just inspire a new generation of criminals. I don't think so. I think people have thought through this. There's actually, you know, there's Bitcoin now. Like you don't need to. You don't actually need to do anything. Just, <laughs> there's other more complicated crimes. Like I mean, it's just like you don't even need to bother with it. So, so to me, like that is where I believe we are. So I, I think that's the white paper that we can write out. And I just, I, I was going to go through, and I would like to hear, um, you know, your Australian take on like places that I think do it the best. So I think Chipotle, I give them for the fast, convenient pickup. They have, in my opinion, pioneered it. They perfected it. I so A plus there. I basically give them a C on, you know, almost even a D minus C because they're just so inconsistent <laughs> on, on, on when food they, safety. <laughs> well, on the food, right? It's the problem with the food. It's like you just like they either are way too backed up, right? Because this is back to our integration. The clearly the integration from the app, which is really good. So Chipotle online ordering app A, give them an A there. But the integration between that and actually getting that to the store and then getting the person to make your burrito or whatever your burrito bowl is obviously really bad because I always feel bad for there's always like one person in like the, the takeout section and they're either like, nobody's there. Right. So they made your bowl (laughs) like two hours ago. It's been sitting there and it's completely cold. Or there's so many people up that the people are actually just rotating through the line and just saying, Hey, you didn't make my bowl. I already ordered online and they just make it for them like right away. So they just remake it. Right. So, Uh, so, so Chipotle, they pioneered the delivery, See, but, but they're just well, bad they, on another thing. Go ahead. Well, they, they need to learn to apply back pressure. And, and so, you know, the way you apply back pressure is is you start sending like 404s or something to the online uh, ordering. That's true. <laughs> You're just true. like, oh, apps down, uh, you know, and because if you can't handle it, that's that's almost worse, right? You know. So well, clearly, I mean, back to our CICD thing, it's like clearly in the blameless porous modem, like they don't have what I think is they don't have anyone from the restaurants in the scrum meetings at all, because I, it's oh, no. clear that the corporate has built the app, which is really good. And it's also uh, clear that corporate kind of came up with the system like, hey, when you're finished, put it over here. But they have not accounted for like, you know, it's very inconsistent how the food is made. And you could just tell like nobody in the meeting has ever worked at the Chipotle in the restaurant to like, hey, there's only one person here. So if we get 50 orders at lunchtime, right, we're going to be way backed up. We need to like readjust the line so that we can make the food. I, but you can just tell like nobody at Chipotle has ever done that, right? It's like, it's because like if anyone had ever ordered, like if anyone in corporate Chipotle actually orders uh, a Chipotle takeout this way, they would see it everywhere. I'm sure at San Francisco, the Chipotle is backed up outside, you know, yeah. probably 50 so- deep at lunchtime. So so so, not only do we need back pressure, we need we need uh, surge pricing, surge pricing for burritos. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. 
They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com sdt. That's cbtnuggets.com sdt. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. You know, I look through there, and I'm always wanting to learn Python more. And there's a lot of courses there where you can kind of ramp up into it and uh, even do some advanced networking things with Python. Other topics like that, I may go check that out when I'm done recording this. Anyhow, you can start learning today by going to cbtnuggets.com sdt. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. All right, Matt. So our friend over, uh, Corey Quinn over at, where does he work again? What is the thing? I always forget the name of the Duckbell Group, right? He had a good uh, take, very strong take. I don't know. We'll decide if it's good. He had a strong take on uh, serverless. So basically what he's saying is that, you know, the bulk of your time building serverless applications will not be spent writing the application logic or focusing on the parts of your code that are in fact the differentiated thing that you're being paid to work on. It just won't work out that way. You'll spend most of your time figuring out how to make these functions uh, work with other services from the cloud format. So like what format is it expecting, you know, yeah. JSON and things like that. So, you know, I feel like this is, and someone in the um, software defined talk Slack this week was kind of commenting. is like, you know, this is sort of like the topic we talk about all the time. It's like every platform or initiative starts out <laughs> with pretty much the same goal. It's like, we just want the developers working on their domain logic and they shouldn't spend any time on the infrastructure. And, and if we do that, you know, they're all going to be providing business value. So every platform or initiative starts out that way. And then eventually there's just some disgruntledness sets in. And it's like, ah, missed again. Didn't work out, right? And it's missed like, I don't again. know, there's millions of, of platforms we could talk about it. So I know you're close to the, the serverless space and, you know, you spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, What's your take? Like, is, is this a fair critique of serverless or is this sort of like kind of just like I, the knee-jerk reaction? I think it's, it's, it's absolutely fair, but it's also unfair um, because most software, you know, businesses are like, oh, you know, we want our developers focused on delivering business value. And if you look at the stack of people involved in getting software deployed and running and, and, and whatnot, um, there's a lot of undifferentiated heavy lifting, you know, when, when it comes to managing operating systems. I mean, I'm, you know, in, in my mind, when I think about this, I think about like some of the banks I've worked with and, you know, they, where they might have, they might have like two or three teams whose job it is to write, you know, the, the online banking app or, you know, deal with payments. And then underneath it, there's like this whole much larger layer of support staff who are like, you know, they're, they're writing the config management, they're maintaining the databases, they're the sysadmins, they're the operations people, they're, you know, logging, monitoring, they're, you know, sysadmins. And so there's just this big, heavy tier of people who their job is maintenance. You know, their job is, is maintaining a platform for these apps to run on. And serverless, you know, the, the dream of serverless and containers and whatnot is to get rid of 
that lower level stuff as much as possible. So, you, you know, and the problem is you can never get rid of it completely. You know, you, you can't say, well, we've gone serverless, so we don't have to care about anything. You know, it's like, no, you still have to care about like where the data is going, where it's running, that kind of stuff. But the beauty of the cloud is, you know, now you've, you've outsourced, um, initially, you, you know, you outsourced uh, your management of VMs, which sounds, you know, kind of trivial, but like that was all there were people, you know, I mean, there were at, at <laughs> right. the bank, the you know, one of the banks I worked with, they had a load balancing team, 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 right. you know, there were like right. four, four people whose job it was to, to maintain load balancers. Yeah. <laughs> well, but and it's like, part is an undifferentiated service, right? You know, that is just like, whoa, that's an API call and you've got four headcount on, right? Yeah. And, you know, as you move up the stack, you start getting rid of more of these teams of people who their job was not business value. And serverless is kind of the last place you can go because you're essentially like, like, look, we've gotten rid of as much of that undifferentiated stuff as we can. And all we are now is the glue between the services and running the application on top of services. And it can't get much thinner than that. But I think that's my I, point. I, I, I'm with you on it. And I think... Uh, you know, a couple of things here is like, one, we should always pause and say like, you know, things are a lot better than they were 20 years ago. Like, I think <laughs> sometimes I think we forget like, Hey man, when you had to like actually go f- order a new server, have it like shipped to you, right. Somehow go through your corporate process, get it in a data center and get access to it. Like, I mean, weeks, months, <laughs> like install your software with a it, DVD. I mean, it was a long, it was a long process. I mean, it's kind of like sometimes we complain about banking. It's like, there was a time, the only way to get to pay a bill was like, you had to write a check, mail a check, you know, it go there. And then if you balance your checkbook, you literally had to like, you know, get paper out and like maybe do it in an Excel spreadsheet. So it's like, one, we should always pause and be like, hey, things are better than than they, they were. Now, I think it's always expectations though, right? And I think the, you know, and it's just our classic Gardner hype cycle. It's like, yes, I think the idea that, this idea that we're ever going to get to like, I'm a developer, I'm a hundred percent. All I work on is domain logic. I know nothing else about the infrastructure. Like it is probably unattainable. I mean, it's like, sometimes we yeah. talk about what 4GL, like I, even when they go beyond that, they're like, I'm not even gonna write code. I'm just going to click on boxes and drag boxes. And it's just going to automatically do it. It's like, it's, I mean, like while it's, I don't even know if it's a noble objective and maybe that's the problem. It's like, no, it's just, if you're doing something that's that you want to have high value and it's going to work well, you're going to have to put in the time to learn some of the basic infrastructure to deliver it. And I think this applies to everything. It's just like saying to someone, like, all I'm going to do is cook great meals. I'm not going to know anything about the oven. It's like, it's, I, I mean, there's just no way you can do it. You can make the <laughs> oven simpler, but like you still have to like understand the concepts of the oven, just as one arbitrary example. So, so I think all it's kind of a, a you know, if you will, like a, a straw man or like a false choice to say, like, well, it's not working because I still have to know a lot of stuff. But I will say it comes from, and I, this is where I do, you know, kind of agree with Corey is like, if you're constantly hyping things up, you know, and over with these over expectations, then you have to expect the backlash. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now. It's like, Hey, this getting this stuff to work is like, yeah, I don't know how have to know about the operating systems, but in my limited experience with um, doing some serverless stuff, like you do have to, like, you spend a lot of time learning AWS services. You're like, Oh, what does this yeah, thing do? Yeah. What is this you thing? Can't, you can't get away from it. Though. Yeah. I mean, to it, think that you can is, is, at some point, you have to eat the complexity. You know, you can keep pushing it around and, and and trying to build out these abstractions, but you're either going to have something that is not 
performant or useful enough. You know, you're, you're writing scratch or, you know, you're, <laughs> <laughs> or That's you're right. going to, you know, you're going to be running something that is servicing needs, you know, and that's going to require like actual services and, and, and building out. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have to care about config management of operating systems. That's great. You know, that's a great thing to get away from if you can, you know, but uh, eventually, you know, you're going to have to glue a bunch of crap together. (laughs) All right. So Matt, I wanted to throw this out to you. So so I, I think, you know, we could, we should try to break down an equation here. So at the risk of like, uh, you know, making something that uh, is probably not something that's suited for an equation, we're just going to force fit it anyway. <laughs> One of the things that I've said, I don't know, a hundred million times in my career, and I bet you have too, is something like you're talking to some customer or client or anyone, and you're saying like, hey, if you do this, it'll kind of increase your agility, right? It's kind of agility is just a shorthand for like, you can do more faster, but what I've been thinking is like, we really need to like break this down and actually tell people what it is. And I think there are three parameters I've been thinking about around what does it mean to have agility? One is velocity. And I'm going to define velocity as how much of the time do you, does your development team spend working on domain logic, right? So you can probably quantify that as like, most people are doing some form of agile, they have sprints and they have stories. So it's like, how many of the user stories in your specific world our domain specific, right? Because that's our goal. Our goal is everyone right. should be able to do it. And you can actually just count it up. Be like, look at your iterations or look at your ongoing year and be like, how much of those? Just have the developers tag it. Like this is domain specific, right? So that's like one vector. And ideally, let's say in a perfect world, Nirvana that doesn't exist, 100% of the stories, 100% of the time are just domain, right? We know that's not possible, but we'll just set that out there as like the ideal goal. Now, then we got to like balance that against portability. Right. And say, okay, if we had to take this application that we're running wherever it's running today, on premise, in the cloud, whatever, and we had to move it, we had to pick it up and move it from platform A to platform B, how much time would that take us? Again, we should be able to express that in some set of user stories. So, you know, maybe it's 100% portable. So it would just take you maybe one story, like what iterations, like literally you update the config files, point from target A to it's target Kubernetes B. Kubernetes here, it's run on Kubernetes It just works, there. right? Yeah. It's 100%, right? Or you say to yourself, like, you know, we know that we're really tied into this service, very highly coupled. So therefore, if we had to move it, maybe it's it's actually a few iterations of, of or sprints of work. Maybe it's two or three sprints, but you say to yourself, that's fine. Like, I'm okay with that because I want my velocity to portability ratio. That's what I'm trying to figure out, right? It's like, I can have more velocity, but I cannot have less portability because that's usually what I think people are figuring it out. And then on the portability side, it's like, okay, maybe I want the portability, but that usually means I am going to have to assign people working on our specific project to keep it portable, right? They have to do the the lifting or the infrastructure work to, so that, yeah, when we point from point A to point B. So maybe that's two stories for every iteration are devoted as infrastructure. And that's so I can go from GCP to AWS or from Red Hat to Tanzu, whatever, right? And then that's just your infrastructure tax, but you're willing to pay that tax because you want your portability number to stay very constant and very low. And so that to me, like when we're talking about all of this, it feels like, you know, some smart economics, you know, researcher could kind of come up with like, here's the equation you should be measuring, right? And then you could right. go to your executives and say, you know, here's here's kind of where we are. Like we have high velocity, but we're not very portable. Are you good with this? Are we good that we're tied to just AWS, for example? Or, hey, we're, we're not doing as many domain specific things, but we can quickly move 
uh, from GCP to Red Hat OpenShift or whatever. So what do you think? Pick apart my equation there. No, I, I, I think I think it, it that makes a lot of sense uh, because every business is going to decide for themselves if if they need to move, right? If you are if you're Spotify, you know you you've tied yourself to to GC, uh, G, GCP, and you know they're like, hey, you know we're all in on all these services. We we love being here. Um, we're not going to spend the time to you know stub these things out and and or you know uh, support you know a, a more cross platform thing because. We're making money hand over fist and, you know, we're happy enough uh, living here, uh, you know, tied to this cloud. Um, if you are, you know, a big bank and you need to run in various data centers and across other stuff, you're like, well, we'd love to be, you know, we would love to be more uh, portable. Um, and maybe, you know, and maybe Kubernetes is that, you know, portability layer that you get. You know, if, if you tie yourself to that ostensibly, you should be able to go anywhere. It, you know, that seems to be the middle ground for, for portability these days is, you know, obviously if you're in a data center on VMs or bare metal, you thought you were portable, but you know, <laughs> you, you still had, right. you still had a load balancing team. Right. And, you know, if you can migrate to the new, you know, uh, distributed operating system of uh, du jour, um, ostensibly, you can go from, you know, GKE to AKS to, you know, EKS, wherever you, you may need to go um, with minor tweaks uh, and achieve that portability. You're still not getting full advantage of that cloud though, right? You, there, there's still performance enhancements and optimizations that you could be having if you were all in on that. And there's, you know, projects on the edges of Kubernetes to, to you know, make things more cloud friendly once you get there. Um, but it's still, it's still that, uh, lowest common denominator abstraction that you get by by you know not not having the the native native cloud experience. Um, so you know I, I think Kubernetes is a good middle ground for a lot of people. Uh, but if if you need portability, if you don't, pick a cloud that fits your use case the best and write it, <laughs> and 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 go all in on their their you know serverless platform because that gets you away from a load balancing team, right? You want to have as few, yep. because that's just friction. That is those extra support stories in your, your, uh, you know, in your sprints that, you know, you don't want those. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And I think this is where, like, I don't know, and maybe in the, you know, distant future, like I want someone to figure out like something, some kind of shorthand, like I almost want like a batting average, like, Hey, what's your velocity to portability ratio or some kind of like, quantified thing that you can kind of sit down with the executives and be like, listen, we can, we can do this, but here we're currently operating at this, this ratio. Right. And I, you know, as a general rule, I think companies earlier in their life cycles, you know, still finding product market fit or find experience, hyper growth, things like that. Right. I think those are the ones that probably should have a very low portability rating, right? It's like, Absolutely. Hey, you know, you're just growing so much service as many customers as you can. Yeah. And get, you know, huge. And then as you kind of like move in the life cycle and you say, okay, well now we're more sustaining and, you know, the product is well known. It's like, okay, at that point, maybe do start to invest in portability one, because it'll just keep the easier to maintain the product. And then two, you know, that's the place where you're probably start to think like, I want to reduce operating costs. And one way to do that would be to like start moving around, trying different deployment models, moving between, you know, cloud providers and things like that. So, you know, I, I just, when I talk to, a lot of the different customers and things like that. I just, you know, the conversation we always seem to have is like reduce costs, increase agility. But like, you know, I, I find that 
most places haven't like really thought through. Like, I don't even think they really most of the times understand their current situation, right? They have to spend a lot of time just inventory themselves. It's almost like self-reflection. Like, what are you spending your time on? Like, mm-hmm. like, are you like, it's almost like when you have the, you know, sometimes like, I think you probably experienced this too. It's like, sometimes the first customer meeting is just kind of like a therapy session for them. It's like, well, like, what are you, like, what are you guys spending your time on? And they're like, oh, we don't really know. And you start asking more questions and they just start talking amongst themselves. Like, yeah, that was hard. And the infrastructure team is, you know, what you said, we got this load balancing team and it's too big and it takes too long. And so like, it's just an hour of like that kind of talk, but like, you know, I guess maybe here's a little shortcut for all the, uh, um, the kind of end users, enterprise users, like you don't actually have to vendor. You don't have to have the vendor on premise to actually have that talk. You can just talk about it yourself. Like we don't, <laughs> well, none of us that, need to be there. Yeah. Well, that's why so much of, of the work we did at Chef was not Chef. It was DevOps consulting. It was, you know, helping them with these therapy, internal therapy sessions of like, you know what, your whole process is broken. You know, we need to, you know, we could throw some software at that, you know, we're, but we are not selling you DevOps. That's the problem. You know, we, you know, we can't fix your friction-based culture. You know, you need to you need to get over the fact that like you have a load balancing team. You know, I mean you you have you you know you have people who their job is you know antiquated and you're okay with that. You know? Yeah. Um and you know you you need to start thinking about delivering business value. It it, it was just so much of the time was DevOps consulting. You know, and, and of course they're happy to pay for that too. <laughs> well I think in the end this always comes back to the same thing we uh, talk about all the time. You know, uh, really, software is is about the people problems, and that's why whenever we go to all these DevOps meetings, there's the culture talk. So next time you're thinking at the next culture talk, you can think to yourself, okay, what's that velocity equation? And hopefully, I want someone. If you figured it out, if you've got like some uh, good uh, metrics that you can uh, that you're tracking that you know kind of like approximate some of the stuff that I've talked about, please please send them my way. Today's show is sponsored by Strong DM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Do you have a worn-out Post-it note with all your passwords on it? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. You can automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. And you can eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by the fine folks at Betterment, Peloton, SoFi, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. Don't take my word on it. Check out StrongDM for yourself with a free demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, Twitter has finally done it. It's been uh, long talked about that they're going to offer some type of pay service, and it's here. I think it's called Twitter Blue. And there's a bunch of stuff that you can do. But I think the thing that uh, kind of stands out to me is the first is they're reintroducing nuzzle. So Matt, did you ever use nuzzle? Do you even know what it is? <laughs> no, tell me what nuzzle is. Nuzzle is the, the spot that way, and I fail. Yeah. Uh, that, there are the, again, there's no grade here. You know, it's all, everything is pass fail. You're doing well. Uh, nuzzle was the, the app that would just, if you will look at your Twitter feed and then just pick out the stories that people had been commenting on. So it's kind of like, you know, if you will sort of like, 
uh, RSS, if you will, but it's just sort of like looking at the, the stories that your community is looking at. So a lot of people liked it. I guess they shut it down when they uh, bought uh, Scroll. So Scroll was like one of those things. So the person, that, the founder of Scroll, yeah. he's, he's running, uh, the, I guess, for whatever this Twitter, Twitter blue service, he's running product for it. So they've reintroduced uh, uh, Nuzzle and then Scroll. Do you want to talk about Scroll? Do you, did you? Yeah, I mean, Scroll, well? Scroll was a nice idea of, you would get uh, for a, a small fee, I think it was like $2 a month or $3 a month, something like that. Uh, you got a set of ad-free reads on various websites. You know, so they had, you know, Atlantic and uh, Slate and Salon and, you know, I don't know. Uh, other places on there now. Verge, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of sports sites and, and you know, uh, game. I mean, they had a, a good wide variety of websites that were signed up. And so you'd land on them and they'd be like, you know, hey, you get, you know, three articles a week free on here, uh, you know, ad free. And they got, a you know, they got some money out of that, you know, $2 a month or whatever you were paying. And I liked it, you know, I mean, I, I, I was already using ad blockers anyway. And, you know, obviously uh, finding ways around paywalls when, when, when I didn't have subscriptions to things and, you know, but I was like, Hey, this is, this is what I actually want. Right. I just want to read stuff and have pay in a small amount and have that money distributed to people. I like the idea, you know, I don't even know if I went to that many sites that used it, but I, I, I didn't feel, I, I liked it. And so now with Twitter blue, I'm like, I don't know. Right. I, I, I don't use the Twitter app, right. I use uh, Tweetbot, and I've got a very curated Twitter experience. When I see people complain about Twitter, it's like, I don't have those experiences. Right? <laughs> You're like, I have a different Twitter. I, I mean, I have Twitter. a different Twitter for you. It's like, I don't, I don't have ads in my feed. I have the, the, you know, the feed is the way I want it. And you know, I, I may, you know, I love Tweetbot. And so now I'm kind of like, I want to give money. I, I like where they're going of like, you know, giving money back to the media companies who are providing the content I read. I, I'm fine with paying people for stuff I consume. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't want to give them a full-blown subscription to. That's that's kind of the balance, right? So if I can give them these micropayments, I'm cool with that. I don't know how Twitter Blue is going to work with Tweetbot because I'm not going to go and adopt the rest of the Twitter sandwich. All right. Well, now that we'll have to go uh, look up ourselves. Cause I think the, the way it works though, is that your part of your subscription will go to uh, when you do Twitter blue is what you said, it goes to pay the advertiser. So that's what they're doing. And I guess what I read was their goal is to, to give the advertiser 50% more than they would have made off of ads for you. So I just thought of you because you're always big on, you know, like, if you know if uh, if you're not paying for it, you are the product, or your attention is the product. I guess that's the the better way to say that. So, you know, I think it's a. I like the idea. Like I like the attempt here, right? So if you think about Nuzzle, the old Nuzzle, or this new thing, sort of surfacing stories that you think you're going to be interested in because they're in your network. That's step one, and then step two is getting rid of ads, right? Because allowing people to make money off your subscription, it is, if you will, kind of a a new attempt. Maybe not new, but like I guess it's it's an attempt to merge a subscription-based model with social media, which maybe, you know, I think Cote had a good discussion last week around like, you know, Facebook is the new TV, you know, that whole kind of discussion he had there is like, Mm -hmm. well, this is a way to kind of, you know, if you will pull those things apart. And so maybe if the incentives are different, then maybe people start to use Twitter differently. I guess that would be like the absolute most positive (laughs) rosy outlook for this. Um, 
Now, having said that, I'll just say it's like, I don't know. I just, I always just feel like subscription fatigue. It's not like two ninety nine dollars a month is going to break me, but it's just like, I don't know. I already subscribed to so many other things. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, but, I don't but want to like, subscribe to anything. I don't want to subscribe to more stuff, but if I could just like give some money to the content that I consume without a subscription, I like that balance. Right. All right. Well, I, let's go. I, I like, I like thinking that it's actually directed to what I'm reading. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's put a pin in this and say, okay, we're going to check back in maybe let's say a month. We're going to see if either one of us actually made the effort to subscribe to Twitter below. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence, whether or not I'm, <laughs> I'm on it. the fence. You know, they, I'm, they, they stopped charging me for, for, uh, uh, the other thing. And, uh, now I'm kind of like, I'd like to, you know, I, I want that back. I want scroll back, but, uh, yeah, whatever. All right. We'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. All right. The other thing that I wanted to point out this week that uh, our friend, uh, Brian, he put this in the, the Slack channel and it's great. Uh, it's a, a, a fantastic infographic. If I can, I will uh, make it the show art for this section. So maybe look at your phone right now and see it. And what it is, is it basically takes one minute of the internet time and breaks down all the things that are happening. So like all the different um, services and sites that we're using. So I'll just throw out like, you know, for example, it says here, uh, 575,000 tweets are sent every one minute. So that's the Twitter number. So I was going to ask you, Matt, there's, I mean, there's probably 30 of these on here. And it's one thing, I guess, before we kind of get to you, I would like to get your take on what, what jumped out at you. It's like, I think this is a great example of just kind of comprehending internet scale. I think it is very hard sometimes to like realize like, oh yeah, the internet's really big and there's a billion people on it. But when you actually look at this and you see all of these things happening one minute, right. you just get a sense of the grand scale of the internet. At least I did. So, so one, I think it's worth looking at just for that, just to take it in. But what of all the things that are listed here, like Zoom, Netflix, on and on and on, what jumped out at you as like the most surprising thing that happens every one minute on the internet? Well, I, I, you know, seeing, seeing something like 450,000 hours of content every minute served by Netflix, it's kind of amazing. Um, I, but actually, it was some of the like more esoteric things that I, I um, 208 clubhouse rooms a minute. Like, really? Clubhouse? That's still a thing? <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, and then Strava, uh, the, the, the sports tracking thing, it said that there are, uh, uh, 1500 activities shared, uh, a minute. Um, I don't, I don't use Strava. I use a, I use a different run. Uh, I use Runkeeper, but it's like, I don't share. <laughs> so it's like, seriously, people, you know, that many people are sharing. I, I, I found, I don't know. I, I, there, there are a lot of huge numbers in here, but it's some of the like more esoteric services that I found more interesting, you know, um, at least that's, that's my takeaway. Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. So there's lots of stuff looking here. I do think Clubhouse is is the one. I think a few things would point out about Clubhouse. Like one, I don't know who the PR person is for Clubhouse, but it is incredible. They made this chart. Like you look at everything else, Twitter, TikTok, Google, Slack. I mean, these are internet behemoths that have been around for a long time. They're billion-dollar companies. Here Clubhouse is just a you know, whatever startup and they're somehow got on this thing. So could the PR person that pitched this from Clubhouse? amazing and then the other thing i thought we'd maybe talk about briefly is that clubhouse has uh now they're rolling out replay that lets users record live rooms and share them later so i look at this like it's just interesting because they basically are just reinventing 
a podcast, right? And, I, and at first, I think it's like, it's easy to be cynical. But then I was like, yeah, maybe that's just fine, right? It's just like, yeah, it is kind of hard at times for uh, people that are just getting into like maybe making a podcast or doing recorded audio. So they have made a great app that's very easy to use. You just basically like click on your phone and it's recording. And I think the the next thing that would be easy for them to do is just like, okay, give every user an RSS page or every uh yeah, yeah, everyone, every room has an RSS page and then it just, you can just download it and then boom, you've got a, a, a whole little podcast there and you throw some dynamic ads in it and then call it a platform. So, I, and I think this is just another example to me of like hard work plus luck. It's like, it does take a lot of um, work to create a nice app that has a great experience. And I think Clubhouse should be, you know, commended for doing so. But then, you know, the luck is like, you <laughs> yeah, launched well, it during well, they a- included, They included teams in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I, but I, on the whole thing, but I just think for Clubhouse, it's like, okay, man, you know, it's like, so they did the hard work, they should deserve credit for it. But then it's just like, yeah, well, they also just happened to launch this app during a pandemic with uh, celebrities that were like looking to do random stuff. And that has sort of vaulted them into like this incredible uh, awareness, right? Incredible marketing and a word of mouth that like, it's very hard to recreate. And then that landed them on this chart. So it's like, yeah, so when Clubhouse is acquired in a few years, for like some astronomical amount of money. Like, I think we should look back on this and be like, they built a great app and they got really, really lucky at, at well, the right time. And ultimately that's going to be why they succeed. Someone else has said, you can actually do this with this other company called Colin. And it's like, I bet you Colin is great. I've, I've never used it, never even heard of it. And I was like, that's why they're not going to succeed. It's like, I bet you it's probably even better than Clubhouse in all these yeah. ways. It's like, there's just no way Colin is ever going to get the the word of mouth that clubhouse gave and that's and it's just like i, I hate to say it to the calling people it's like it's just luck man you're just on the wrong side of it like it's sometimes it goes that way so well, the, the, the that, that's my take go ahead the cautionary tale for anybody who's on this chart is to go to the bottom of the page where they have you know the services that have appeared in the chart and there are a lot of one-hit wonders right I mean, uh, I didn't see that. Looks like give me one. Like, yeah, give me a well, of you know, Yelp fell off. Dropbox fell off. Oh, um, man, Yelp, you know, Yelp. Facebook Messenger, uh, Wikipedia, um, you know, Airbnb, Twitch. You know, they're things that you know. I'm, they're all still doing well, but you know, they just because you're just because you're on this chart doesn't mean you have long, longevity for this chart. Hmm. So I don't know. Do we think maybe that's a good question? Like the next time they make this big chart, do you think Clubhouse will be on there? Probably not. I guess I'd I decide probably Foursquare four square made their appearance in 2012 and never came back. Oh, I love that. Remember, we were all mayors of stuff. Uh, you know, you this... got some BuzzFeed, you got Vine. You know, there's Gosh. some. Uh... <sighs> Uh, some good times, some good times out there. Well, that's true. So maybe it is. Maybe it's a little warning then. It's like, hey, if you're if you're the one on here that looks kind of like an oddball, like if you're like the clubhouse, if you're like, hmm, you kind of stick out as being the one that maybe doesn't belong, maybe that's maybe that's publicity you don't want. So we'll have to we'll have to see what happens to them. But it is highly recommend the infographic. But really, my main takeaway was just scale. Like it's just a great way to like comprehend the scale of the internet. And then yeah, this just in. There's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff all the time. <laughs> That's, that's my main takeaway. So, um, all right, Matt, let's see here. Uh, do we have any bureaucracy? We do have a little bureaucracy this week that I wanted to talk about. So first of all, I want to thank, uh, some listeners. I mailed stickers to Ed in London, Marcus in Germany and Michael in Minnesota. So if nice. anyone would like a sticker, just send your postal address to me at stickers at software And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, Matt, if you're looking for a new job, I think you're pretty happy at your current one. But 
Uh, Jordan wants you to work as an SRE at Shopify, which sounds like a pretty you know cool job. But this what <laughs> the discussion that went on in the job channel this week is like evidently this is fully remote in the Americas from Hawaii. As you can also work in APAC or EMEA. Right, but like, right. do you know anyone <laughs> that has actually worked a corporate job in Hawaii? Not a corporate job, but okay. I do know people who like software devs who have worked remote uh, from Hawaii and uh, there aren't a lot. They kind of knew each other. And even though they, <laughs> so it's a, it's a small community. Uh, you know, maybe someday I'll, I'll join that community, but uh, yeah, Hawaii is pretty great. Well, I think it's fantastic. So I, I hope somebody uh, applies from the software defined talk community. I hope they apply for the job, I hope they get this job. And then I want you to, uh, Tell us, like, is it great? It seems like it'd be a great place to work in Hawaii. So, you know, kudos to uh, to uh, Shopify for, I guess, being so flexible. Uh, also, want to let everyone know we do have some uh, some conferences that I don't know, some of us will be involved in. So, I don't know, Kote is speaking at DevOps, and that's in Russia. So, I think it's going to be recorded. So, I think maybe it happened on the 11th. So, you probably, when you hear this, it's unlikely you will see it, but you'll probably go find out uh, uh, where his talk is, and we'll leave the link in here. It's uh, Kubernetes is not for developers. Ooh, so I don't know, Matt. We'll have to go see. Spicy. We'll have to see if he agreed with some of our takes uh, earlier on the show. Also, um, looks like Kote and I are going to be at the VAT conference in Texas uh, now nice. with the correct link. So I think I had the wrong link in here before. So if, I had, if you clicked on it before and it didn't work for you, it should work now. So that's going to be in Round Rock, Texas, which is really Austin, on January 17th uh, through the 20th. Also, I'm going to be at AWS reInvent. So I posted a new channel in uh, the Slack. So just meet up IRL. Uh, so if you're going to be there or if any of the listeners want to kind of like, you know, get together and do their own meetups wherever they are in the world, feel free to join that channel and let's, let's all connect in real life. If, uh, if we're all uh, safe, if, if it's safe to do it in your area, whatever that means, I think that's a decision everyone has to make for themselves. And then uh, finally, I wanted to let everyone know that uh if you don't watch the entire, sh- listen to the whole podcast, well, then one, what, what's wrong with you? Of course you need to watch, <laughs> listen to the whole podcast, but I've been posting some clips to uh, TikTok. So if you like, if you want to do that. And uh, occasionally I do like, believe it or not, like, I know this is going to come as a shock to people. Like we actually edit the podcast. I know it probably doesn't seem like we edit the podcast, but we do. So sometimes things get edited out of the show. So someone pointed out last week, I took out uh, one of Cote's uh, long discussions on Madonna's. I just, I don't know. I, I felt like, you know, as the editor, I pulled it out, but somebody that watched the stream was like, you know, they thought it was great. So don't worry. If you want to see that talk, you can watch it on YouTube. It's it's there forever. And uh, sometimes I will pull it out and I'll make that like a little clip. So if you want more software defined talk after listening to the entire podcast, you can go check us out on TikTok or YouTube or any of the other various things. So, so I don't know, Matt, maybe you can, you can criticize me as editor. Was I wrong to pull out the Madonna clip? Did you, did you, were you sad about it? Did you even care? Did you even? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I did. That was that was some Cote gold. So all right. Uh, so well, there it is. Well, that's that incentive though. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I did it on purpose. I mean, it, you know, not for everyone, but you know, it's not every day you got your you know uh, Madonna in one hand and and you know DevOps and and everything else on the left. So it all comes together. Uh, all right. Well, with all of that said, Matt, do you have a recommendation for us this week? Um, my recommendation is, uh, a little self-serving. I had, a, uh, I've got a, another podcast, uh, for, for my day job called cloud native application flows, cloud native AF, and, uh, talked to lots of interesting folks last week on the show. We talked about the charming pirates, um, uh, article, 
uh, about you know building up your funnel of contributors to open source projects. And I had the author on the show, uh, Tasha Drew. So it was a, a good good podcast. We talked about her job as uh, the director of uh, incubation over at VMware. So um, cool gig and uh, very in touch with what's happening with Kubernetes and uh, what big enterprises need from their uh, software vendor of choice. So um, check that out. Very nice. Very nice. Sounds like a good episode. I will definitely check it out. And then uh, everyone can just subscribe to it right now, right? They can probably just like scroll back yeah, yeah. in their, yep. their feed, just do a Cloud quick search. AF.com. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. My perspective, uh, my perspective, my, my recommendation this week, getting a little ahead of myself, is uh, Grand Perspective, which is a very simple, um, if you will, disk utility that will just let you visualize all the files on your uh, your drive. So I was trying to do some cleanup, right? Because I'm trying to like, if you will, get some disk space and figure out what should be archived. And I've, I found it just extremely useful. So it's very simple. You can uh, either get it for free or you can uh, buy it from the app store for like $2.99 and you know, just help support the developers. There's no ads or anything in it. So it's like a super simple thing. But uh, I, th- I think it was fantastic. It really made it easy to find some giant files that I had uh, on my uh my laptop. So like one thing, it's like, I didn't realize like, Oh, well, Docker, if you like tell it how much disk space it could be, it can use. It's like a huge block that takes up. I was like, Oh, well, that's a waste of time. So I learned a bunch of stuff. So it's like every time. um, And again, like you could do all of this with finder and the command line, but like, this is just nice, pretty pictures. I just really like it. So it's real simple. Yeah. The, uh, if you go to uh, settings and say about this Mac and hit storage and say manage, you get about half of that. Like, cause I used to use grand perspective and, and Apple, uh, Sherlocked it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That, that one, what you just said there is good because it breaks it by, um, like I think file type, like music and videos yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So that's pretty yeah. good. That is like, if you, uh, perspective, that's a nice UI. That's, yeah, it is. It's uh, like, yeah. So I guess if you just want like a, a nice picture of it, uh, and I like it. And then of course too, like when you see the huge blocks, you can be like, what is this? What is this? And then a lot of it is like, well, I don't have this on here. So I don't know. It's so, and also I guess it's a, a chance to page through files you haven't seen in like years. You're like, huh, well, I don't wonder why I did that. So anyway, it's fun. All right. Well, if this is the first time you've ever heard Software Defined Talk, welcome. You can subscribe to the show going to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There you'll find uh, links to everything. You can join our Slack all of our social media sites, all that kind of fun stuff. And if you want to see the show notes, all you can do, you can go to one, I should always tell people, like one, you should just look at your podcast player. All the show notes are there. But if you still want to go see it on the website, just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 329. That's this episode. And you'll see everything. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye. So, So behind me, behind me, I've got, you know, the Ikea chair there. Um, that's now covered in dog fur because he likes to, uh, he just likes to sleep behind me uh, while I'm working. And I was uh, recording, uh, I, I went live, um, recording some stuff about working with uh, Tanzu Community Edition. And I was listening to the audio and I was like, what is that sound? <laughs> I was, because I was, you know, recording voiceover. And I was like, oh my God. You know, I look back, it's like the dog had been licking himself <laughs> while I was recording voiceover and my mic was picking it up. So uh, I had to go re-record. I I do not have a filter that gets out the uh, ASMR of dogs slurping themselves. So.